Welcome to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast, where you will learn career strategies and techniques to help you break down barriers, make more money, and thrive in your tech life at work and at home. Technology has never been more mission critical to our online stay-at-home world, and you are the key to its success. You'll hear from diverse women in tech as well as experts who share both personal and professional strategies so you can transform your work and your workplace from the inside out. I'm Karen Morstel, former Silicon Valley tech leader and serial CISO for iconic brands like AT&T Wireless, Microsoft, and Russell Investments. I hope you will join me in my mission and message of resilience and transformation to make an inclusive and equitable tech industry. If you find this show helpful, please leave us a like and share it. And don't forget to hurry over to createyourleadingedge.com to join innovative and affordable group coaching for women in tech on your terms. And now on to Mojo Maker for Women in Tech. Today, I'm sharing an interview with Andy Kramer and Al Harris that I did for ITSP Magazine in early 2020. Their important research is published in It's Not You, It's the Workplace, and I think you'll really find this interesting as they explode the mean girl myth about difficult women managers and help us get to the real root cause of why woman-to-woman conflict shows up in the tech workplace and elsewhere. Have a listen. Hey, Al and Andy, thank you. Welcome to Mission Critical. I'm so excited to have you on the show. And we've talked before. I'm excited to continue the conversation. I'm going to dive right in. You wrote a book prior to the one that we're going to talk about today, Breaking Through Bias, Communication Techniques for Women to Succeed at Work, right? And so you've done the research and all the work and put that book forward. And now this new book that's out that I encourage everybody to get, which is It's Not You, It's the Workplace, Women's Conflict at Work and the Bias that Built It. So I'd love for you to talk to high-powered lawyers. You are in the business of helping us overcome conflict bias and myths in the workplace. And I'd love you to talk a little bit about why you dove into this project. First of all, we're very pleased to be on. Thank you for having us. It all started once upon a time when I was on my law firm's compensation and management committees where I found that women would write self-evaluations very modestly and men would write self-evaluations talking about how they were total rock stars and needed to make gazillions of dollars and get promoted. And what I learned from that was that men and women can communicate differently and why do we tend to communicate differently? And the answer to that turned out to be the research that became our first book, Breaking Through Bias, where we found that because of the stereotypes and the biases that women and men have about leaders, men, women, families, that women are expected to be assumed to be and punished if we don't behave in very modest nice, kind, sweet ways. Yet men are expected to be assumed to be and punished if they don't behave in ways that 
shows that they're leaders and independent free thinkers and going to get the job done. And so that was what prompted our first book. The second book was an outgrowth of that. What we found was that women often complain about their relationships with the women that they work with. And we were surprised by that. We were aware of the whole series of popular literature and articles that were out there claiming that women are inherently mean or that they are bitchy or that they're queen bees. But we never took that very seriously. But when we had published our first book and began speaking and conducting workshops about gender bias, we had many, many women who said, you know, you're right about this gender bias stuff, but I can manage just fine with the men. It's the women I have problems with. And so we wanted to get to the bottom of that. What was that about? And we can talk more about what's behind it. But the simple answer was it's the same thing all over again. It's stereotypes and biases. It's not because of the way that women fundamentally are. It's not because of evolution, which some people argue. It's not even because of the way women are socialized. It has to do with the way we think about men and women and our expectations of them because of those stereotypes. Can you say a little bit more about that? Because as I read your book, I was floored by the number of stereotypes and myths that I had bought into as a woman who was in leadership over large organizations with lots of men. Well, I'll give you an example. Al had said how what prompted us to lead into doing the research and writing, It's Not You, It's the Workplace, was the reaction that we were getting from women to our first book. And the very first time that this came up, a young woman said to us, I get along okay with the guys. I hate working with the women. They're nasty. They're evil. They only care about themselves. But the guys, they're easy to deal with. They're great to get along with. And she said, I went to their boss and I said to their boss, I hate working with the women. I only want to work with the men. So I said to her, well, that's really very interesting. Can you tell me how did the women treat you differently from the ways that the men treated you? And she was dead silent. In fact, I wasn't sure if she was conscious. And she looked up and she finally, with tears running down her face, she said to me, the women treated me exactly the same way that the men did, exactly the same way. And I ruined their careers by going and complaining about them. And so what it turned out is that women very often, when we look up to somebody who's in a leadership position, we want her to be nice and kind and sweet, the stereotypes that we have about women. But if she's doing that, then she's not getting her work done. And you're not contributing to the team to get the work done. And so when a woman says, I need it by five o'clock, and then says, you do this and you do that, everybody's hair catches fire, the men and the women's. Who does she think she is telling me what to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So that's one of the dynamics that leads women into conflict with other women, is that misplaced expectations that the women they work with are going to be their best friend or their mentor or their mother. mother when in fact they don't have that expectation of men. They expect the men to be decisive and 
opinionated and anxious to get the project completed. And so that mismatch of expectations often leads women to misperceive, mischaracterize the women that they work with as mean or bitchy or someone that they find unpleasant. Well, and we're even coached, I think, as women leaders to ask for things a different way, to not ask for them directly, say, I'd really like to have that by five o'clock. But to say, right. women are coached to be uh, nice, and kind, nice and, and kind and sweet. We don't want to give the impression that this is easy to correct. It isn't. These are stereotypes that really have been with us all since we were two, three, four years old. They haven't just come about in the workplace. So we have to be very careful and recognize that we can't get rid of them by just telling ourselves, oh, stop thinking that way. That's not going to do the job. Now, one thing that you mentioned about how as senior women are coached to be sure to say it in a different way, basically what that's all about is what we found and we refer to as the Goldilocks dilemma, which is that in order for a woman to be seen as nice and kind and sweet, but also as competent, what she needs to do is she needs to dip into both the communal nice and kind and sweet, oh, shucks, do you mind, would you do me a favor kind of stuff. But if she just does that, then she's perceived as being okay for the library committee, but she's not going to be on the executive committee. Right. She won't have a line role. Exactly. Exactly. So what she needs to do is she needs to balance some of that with the, I need it by five o'clock. And so a man can say, I need it at five, get at it, see at five. But a woman needs to find a way of sort of balancing it. And a lot of women figure this out fairly intuitively in the workplace because of the ways that we are socialized, the way we are trained to try to make connections with other people. Yeah, and we do have that sense, right? We have that intuition. And I do think men do too. You try to make the point in the book that we actually bring to the workplace many attributes that are the same. Oh, no question about it. We think that this notion of men are from Mars, women are from Venus is way overdone. We've got stereotypes about women and men, but in reality, what we've found and what the most up-to-date research shows is that the differences in leadership ability, competence, ambition are not determined by your sex. They're entirely independent, and there's far more variation among all women than there is between men and women in general. So there was an announcement, I think, that just came out. I haven't had a chance to read the whole thing, so I don't know if you guys saw it come through with it. Goldman Sachs isn't going to do an IPO anymore and all male boards. I saw that this morning, yeah. Yeah. And so I love that there's now kind of like this drive from the top. So we obviously need a lot of that because, well, without the drive from the top, things are going to take forever to change, like 250 Yeah, that's what the studies show, yes. But at the same time, we have some work to do from the bottom, right? We have some work to do with dispelling this thing that you talk about that we bring into the workplace from this time we're two or three or four years old 
the way that we relate to women, the expectations that we have, and the myths that we carry about mean girls. When we talked about this before, and I was laughing because after I read through your book, we were getting ready for the show, and I was dreaming mean girl dreams. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody wants to be in fifth grade again. No, or junior high. Oh my gosh, you know, junior high. Yes. That's what I think we have this sense that that is not just junior high and hormones and all of us trying to find our way as adolescents. And so one of the things that would be great, if you would talk a little bit about the myth and what we need to do kind of to shift our thinking. Well, let me say that we are not saying that there aren't women in the workplace who are abrasive and unpleasant But there are men like that, too. Equal opportunity. The problem is that there's so many fewer women leaders than men that when there is a unpleasant woman leader, those characteristics get ascribed more generally. If there's an unpleasant male leader, because there's so many other male leaders that are not that way, that myth doesn't take hold. And so we have to be careful about that. But let me suggest that there are reasons sometimes that women are hostile to other women. In stereotype situations, in gendered organizations, there are very often only a limited number of seats at the leadership table that are available to women. And so women are forced into competition with each other for those limited seats of power. And when women are forced and realize that they have to compete with other women, not with everybody, not with the other men, they've got to compete directly against another woman in order to get ahead. Well, that often brings out a hostility among them that is not because of their internal characteristics, but because of the dynamics that the gendered workplace has created for them. My gosh, yes, exactly. Because in a male gendered workplace, there are a set of rules about how competition happens that are not necessarily female friendly. Clearly, clearly. And since there are so few women in leadership roles, what happens is The men don't ever think about, well, there's only one seat at the table. There's always room for one more guy. But when it comes time to having women at that table, the reaction is, well, we already have one. We don't need another. Mm -hmm. Or we already have two. We don't need a third, fourth, or fifth. And so sometimes senior women get pitted against other women, but also they don't have the power to bring along other junior women the way some senior men do. And so that's where women leaders are very often accused of, well, she pulled the ladder up behind her. When in reality, there's nothing she can do. In fact, some studies show that if a woman gets promoted into a senior leadership role, the company tends not to promote another woman for several years. And so the women looking up are like, well, she shut the door behind her when in fact, it had nothing to do with her. Right. Oh my gosh. That just kind of exploded so many assumptions right there. Yeah. (laughs) And you're right. I mean, it is hard for senior women to bring up junior women because when that happens, it kind of hurts the junior woman. 
Well, she's not brought up by the men. It can't. Yes, because another study shows that when men pick other men, that's just viewed as competent behavior. When women select or choose or promote other women, that's very often viewed as favoritism, that women are sticking together, that a woman has gone to bat for another woman only because she's a woman, not because she's talented or otherwise. So there is another built-in bias, an assumption that promotion of men is the normal course because that's what they're entitled to. The promotion of women must be for some other reason. It must be for favoritism or nepotism or some kind of ism that is not about talent. So in tech, most of our audience listening to this podcast is in the tech community and more so even in the cyber community. And we have at best 20% women in cyber. And many of that 20% are not what I would call in line roles. No. Lead them to the Mm C-suite. And I'm looking for some hope here, some silver lining, because we're talking about so many things that are barriers. It's no wonder that we're hearing it's going to be 257 years before we have parity, right? In the workplace. That's the latest number. Like we're going backwards from where we were a year ago. So if we were going to take one step, if a person listening to this show is a male leader or a female leader, one way or the other, what would we need to do to make a big difference in our own organizations? What would be a great first step? Well, you've gone right to the guts of what organizations need to do to overcome these problems. And in fact, that's what we have as the last chapter in It's Not You, It's the Workplace, where we came up with a seven-step program about what organizations need to do. But before we turn to that, I'd like to just say one thing, which is that there's really three different trains leaving the station at the same time. One is what we as women can do in a gender-biased workplace to advance in our careers, knowing that we can't wait for organizations to change or for 250 years to go by. So what can we do today? And that's really what our first book and a large part of our second book is all about. Men in senior leadership roles need to understand how much harder it is for women to succeed and the barriers and the hurdles that are put in place that women have to overcome that they don't. That's sort of the first step in getting them to understand and to work together. And then the third train is what organizations need to do. And that is the seven step program. I'll let Al pick a few of those. Well, let me boil boil it down. Let me boil it down. The problem is not the fact that people have stereotypes that they're biased. We've acknowledged that that starts early and we're not going to simply go into a diversity training program and lo and behold, emerge different people and unbiased. That's not going to happen. So what we need to do is find ways to prevent those biases from affecting decisions that influence careers. So how can we do that? Well, the first thing to recognize is that subjectivity is the enemy of women. Whenever decisions can be made 
that involve the gut instinct. That's just the way I feel. I like him. I don't like her. All of those kinds of subjective judgments are women's enemy in the workplace. Absolutely. So what we need are procedures, practices, a workplace culture in which we drive subjectivity out. How can we do that? We can do that by taking away the ability of people in evaluations, in hiring, in promotions, in compensation, to allow those feelings to come in. So, for example, one of the principles we talk about, and which certainly not unique to us, is the principle of blind auditions. That is, when symphony orchestras began to have performers audition behind screens so that the judges couldn't see their gender, lo and behold, women started being hired in far greater numbers. Now, before that, the judges would swear they're not biased. They don't have a bias bone in their body. They can just tell who's the better musician. But in fact, they weren't aware that their gendered stereotypes were creeping in. Well, much the same principle can be applied when we do evaluations. We can take as much of that opportunity for those subjective judgments to influence them. That is, we can design questions. We can design interviews. We can design the criteria in such a way that people cannot, or let me put it more positively, that people must focus on the objective accomplishments, the objective characteristics of the people that they're evaluating. So instead of open-ended questions that allow somebody to say, well, he's a go-getter, but she's abrasive, or she's not a self-starter, or some such thing, then they have to evaluate people on core competencies. How does he or she meet this particular requirement. And when you do that, you can remove an enormous amount of the subjectivity and the discretion from evaluations. Just like removing people's names and characteristics from their resumes that clearly indicate that they're a woman or a man or a person of color can actually get more women or people of color in for interviews than they would have otherwise. Oh, my gosh. Well, and the statistics that I read show how big of a gap and a problem we have here, right? Because it's almost 90% of the women's written performance reviews contain that kind of subjective and negative language compared to 3% for the men. Right. No question about it. There's an interesting story that we have in our first book, Breaking Through Bias. It's about a man who was a very prominent, successful businessman, and he decided he wanted a new job, and he quit without having a new job lined up. And he thought, not going to be a problem at all. And he sent his resume out, and he did not get a nibble no one would call him in. And this went on for quite some time until he finally sat down and he looked at it and he said, what is going on here? And his name is Kim. And he realized that Kim is a woman's name. So he put Mr. in front of his name, 
Mr. Kim O'Grady. And miraculously, he got a job immediately. And so he started a piece on, I became aware of gender bias when I didn't have a Mr. before my name or some such thing. Oh my gosh. So I think as management, we need to take measures to take the subjectivity out of it, as you said. And I think for the individuals, and this is sort of where I come from, this isn't going to change really soon. This kind of bias is going to make everybody bananas. So we have to also remember to stand up strong and to recognize that great things can be accomplished. Whatever time it takes, do your thing and learn how to work the system to your favor. Exactly. That's Andy's first train. That's what women can do for themselves right now. And you're absolutely right. And part of it is conversations with ourselves about demonstrating confidence, about having a sense of humor, not that it's funny when somebody acts in totally outrageous and offensive ways, but just developing resilience and a positive mindset that allow you to dust yourself off, pick yourself up and keep going to understand that it's not personal. That's particularly true in the tech field, as you know better than we do. Because the atmosphere is often so hostile to women and so filled with sexual innuendo or sexual banter or harassment harassment, that it becomes emotionally very draining on women to kind of have to put up with that day after day and to see their progress being ridiculed. And so one of the things, particularly in the tech field, and this is true generally, but it's particularly true in the tech field, we need far more commitment by the very tops of those organizations that they're going to do something about changing their culture, their atmosphere, and some enforcement measures that are going to do it. So in tech in particular, I think women can do a lot, and taking subjectivity out of evaluations can do a lot. But we need to work on the senior leadership. They need to be educated and things need to change from the top. And one other thing that we talk about at great length in It's Not You, It's the Workplace, as to what women can do in gender-biased workplaces, is that women can form sisterhoods with each other where they are in a situation where they don't have to be best friends. They just have to have mutual objectives and interests that they can help each other out. And women want to help each other. It's the workplaces that very often pit women against each other. You know, I love that. And we talked about it a little bit before about these sisterhoods. And I believe I owe you some information about that too, because I just found out about another one We have an Ally of the Year Award ceremony that's coming up at a very large cybersecurity conference next month. Mm -hmm. And one of the nominees is an organization that is essentially a sisterhood. In fact, there's more than one. And I just heard from them that they had opened up registration for a conference that was really intended for the women to come together and work together. And it literally sold out within days, if not hours. Wow. The need is so great, and it's wonderful that there's a big grassroots effort 
to try to build this up. So in the show notes, I'll add some links that people can follow for some of these other organizations that are out there that I think do fit that category of sisterhood. And I would say it's really there to show how they can support one another. In fact, I just got a phone call from a colleague that we kind of try to stay in touch with on a periodic basis. And the conversation started with, hey, Karen, just wanted to check in, see how you're doing. How can I support you? That's that's great. Wonderful thing. That's what sisterhood's all about. What it's all about. You don't have to share your deepest, darkest secrets or your fears, but you can work together for the objective of advancing each other. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, we will change the world. I really do think that 257 years is going to... Forget it. Yeah. (laughs) Forget about it. (laughs) Forget about it. (laughs) So we could talk forever. We will talk again. I have enjoyed it so much whenever we get a chance to chat. And thank you for all of this. I do want to make sure everybody gets a copy. It's on Kindle. I have it on my Kindle. I have it on hard copy here. And that's what we're going to need to do is focus on these learnings. I had so many of my own myths busted by reading through your book that I highly recommend this book for men and women to get their eyes open so we can try to work together to make the workplace work for everybody and be an ally, right? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you again. And we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Thank you. We look forward to it. All righty. Bye now. Bye-bye. That's it for today's show. Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast is part of the ecosystem of knowledge sharing and affordable group coaching to help reverse the trend of women leaving tech and to help diverse women in male-dominated industries get the visibility, opportunities, and compensation they deserve. Be sure to check out our five-day challenge by visiting us online at createyourleadingedge.com. Like what you hear? Subscribe, share, or leave a review wherever you listen to the show. We'll be back again next week. Be well, stay strong, and remember, be an ally.